Good morning and welcome to Christ Central. My name is Owen. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. For those of you who are here on site, there are faces that I have not seen in months. It is so good to see you. I've missed you and it's, it feels better to see this room getting fuller as we worship together. Thank you for being here. And for those of you who are joining us online, thank you for logging on this morning and for spending your Sunday morning with us. Well, we're in a sermon series uh, through the Gospel of Luke, and we're calling this Following Jesus Through the Book of Luke. And the goal of this series is to kind of follow Jesus around as he moves through the Book of Luke. We're going to watch what he does. We're going to listen to what he says. All of our attention will be on Jesus. And, and my hope, and, and the goal of this sermon series is simply this, that we would find this Jesus that we meet in Luke more compelling and more beautiful, and that we would have greater certainty about the things that we have been taught and believe as Christ followers, that Jesus really is the Son of God and the Savior of the world, and that he is worth following no matter how hard it may be. And as we follow Jesus through Luke, may the Holy Spirit teach us and inspire us to keep following Jesus in life, even in life during a pandemic. Amen? We do not ever stop following Jesus, no matter what's going on around us. Well, the title of today's sermon is Jesus is Tested. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 1 to 13. Now, up until now, in the first three chapters of Luke, it has all been introductory material leading up to the public ministry of Jesus. And now, starting in chapter 4, we're going to finally get to watch Jesus in action. We're finally going to get to hear words come out of his mouth. But before Jesus begins his public ministry, he must first be tested. And this testing of Jesus has been come to known as the temptations of Jesus. So people of God, this is the word of our God. Would you please give it your careful attention? And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he, de he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. After his baptism, where God the Father 
declared that Jesus was his beloved son, where God the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove after his baptism and before Jesus began his public ministry, Jesus first had to be tested. And Jesus was tested as the devil was allowed to tempt Jesus. So here's the outline for today's sermon. First, the context of the testing of Jesus. Second, the testing of Jesus. And third, the passing of the tests by Jesus. So first, the context for the testing of Jesus. In verses 1 and 2, we're told that the Holy Spirit not only filled Jesus, but it's the same Holy Spirit who also led Jesus into the wilderness. And the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness so that Jesus might be tempted by the devil. It was a part of God's sovereign plan and purposes for Jesus to be tempted by the devil in the wilderness. Now, you would think that God should have protected Jesus from the temptations of the devil, not exposed Jesus to the devil and to his temptations. So why did this happen? What was the purpose of allowing Jesus to be tempted in the wilderness? Bible scholars call this recapitulation. Now, that's just a big fancy word for an event that recalls and reenacts a previous event. It was God's purpose for Jesus to recall and to reenact two testings that happened previously in redemptive history. There was a time when Adam was tested in the Garden of Eden. And then there was a time when Israel was tested in the wilderness for 40 years. First, the testing of Jesus recalls and reenacts the testing of Adam in the Garden of Eden. Adam was the first man, and he was called the Son of God. And he was created to live in a loving and obedient relationship with God, his Father. And God tested Adam by allowing the devil, in the form of a serpent, to come and to tempt Adam to disobey God. And as we all know, Adam failed that test. Adam listened to the words of the serpent rather than to the words of God. And because Adam failed the test, sin and death entered into the world. The genealogy at the end of chapter 3 tells us that Jesus was the son of Adam and the son of God. That means that Jesus came as the second Adam and the true son of God. And just as the first Adam was tested, so Jesus, the second Adam, must also be tested. Would Jesus, the second Adam, pass the test that the first Adam failed? Would Jesus listen to the words of the serpent or to the words of God? Would Jesus prove to be the true, loving, and obedient Son of God? So in his testing, Jesus recalls and reenacts the testing of Adam in the Garden of Eden. You see, Adam was the head of humanity. And when he failed the test, he brought sin and death to everyone that he was head over, over all of humanity. Jesus is the new Adam, and he's the new head of a new humanity. And if Jesus passes the test, his victory will bring righteousness and eternal life to everyone that he is head over, everyone that believes and trusts in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Second, the testing of Jesus also recalls and reenacts the testing of Israel 
in the wilderness for 40 years. Just as Israel was tested in the wilderness for 40 years, so Jesus is tested in the wilderness for 40 days. And Israel, as we know, failed the test repeatedly over and over again for 40 years, grumbling and complaining against God when they were hungry and thirsty, disobeying God, not trusting God, and even wanting to go back to their slavery in Egypt because they were done with God. And Jesus comes as the new and the true Israel of God, and he will ex experience extreme hunger and thirst just like Israel did. Would Jesus fail the test like Israel? Or would Jesus, the new Israel, pass the test? This is the redemptive historical context for the testing of Jesus. Jesus was recalling and reenacting the previous tests of Adam and Israel. Will Jesus prevail where Adam and Israel failed? Now, you all remember the story of David and Goliath, don't you? David was Israel's champion who went out to face Goliath, the giant enemy of God's people, with a slingshot. And if David won, Israel won. And if David lost, Israel lost. You see, the fate of Israel depended on David, their champion. Jesus is our David. He is our champion. And Jesus went out to face the devil, which is the true giant enemy of God's people. And if Jesus wins and passes the test, then we all win, and it will mean salvation and eternal life for us. But if Jesus loses and fails the test, then that means that we all lose, and it will mean condemnation and eternal death for us all. You see, friends, our fate depends on Jesus, our champion. You see, when Jesus went out into the wilderness to be tempted, he was really going out into the wilderness to battle the devil. So will Jesus himself and the devil? And as we watch this battle, we are to cheer and to root for Jesus because Jesus is our champion and our very salvation depends on Jesus passing these tests. That's the context for the testing of Jesus. So now let's look at the, let's look at the testing itself. Now verse 13 tells us or suggests that there were more than three temptations, that the devil tried every temptation, but Luke includes three of the temptations or three of the tests. But we can be sure that there are more tests. But these are the three that are recorded for us. So here's the first test. Turn stone into bread. Now after 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, Jesus, being a true man, became hungry. Extremely hungry. Because he didn't eat for 40 days. And so the devil came to Jesus and said, If you are the Son of God, then that means you have divine power. You have the power to turn the stone into a loaf of bread so that you can eat it and not die. Now, at first glance, this temptation doesn't seem too bad. What's wrong with using your divine power to make a little food so that you can eat it and not die of hunger? There doesn't seem to be anything wrong or immoral or sinful about what Satan was asking him to do. But the heart of the temptation was this. The devil was really saying, Jesus... The Father sent you on this mission to redeem the world, but he doesn't really care about you. 
He made you fast for 40 days and you're about to die of hunger and he's not giving you what you need. You can't trust your father, so you have to provide for yourself. You have to take care of yourself. So use your power, turn the stone into bread and provide for yourself because your God, your father, he's not going to take care of you. He's withholding something from you that you need. So go and get it yourself. Your father doesn't really care about you. He can't be trusted. You see, the devil was telling Jesus a lie about God. And it really was the exact same lie that he told Adam in the garden. You see, when Adam was tested in the garden, the devil tempted him, tempted Adam to believe a lie about God, that God was not good, that God was withholding something good from Adam, and therefore Adam shouldn't trust God, and you should do whatever it takes to provide happiness for yourself. And so the devil told Adam, go and take that fruit that God is withholding from you, because God doesn't want you to have what is good. You see, this was, in essence, the same test. Would Jesus believe the lie of the devil and doubt God's goodness and love, or would he trust God? And Jesus answered, man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus was saying this with his answer. I would rather starve to death than doubt and question God's goodness and love for me. I would rather die than not trust God. So Jesus, our champion, passes the first test. Amen? That's good stuff. Let's get to the second test. Worship the devil. The second test began with the devil taking Jesus up somewhere and showing him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to Jesus that he would give it all to Jesus because it had been delivered to him and he had the power and the authority to give it to whom he will. And all Jesus had to do was worship him and it would all be Jesus's. Now, at first glance, we think this test seems ridiculous. Surely Jesus won't fall for this one. We all know that worshiping the devil is a bad thing. Why in the world would Jesus ever want to worship the devil? But this test, friends, was a lot harder than you think. Let me explain. The devil is basically saying, Jesus, I know why you came. You came to redeem the world. You came to bring back to God all the people who've been alienated from God because of their sin. And not because of their sin, they belong to me. But I have the power to release them. And I'll release them. I'll give them all back to you. I'll give them all back to God. You don't have to suffer and die for them on a cross. And most of all, you don't have to be separated from your father. You can get the world that you came to redeem. I'll give it all to you. But I just have one little condition. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. That's it. And you can get everything that you came for. You can get the people that you love so much and want to redeem. You can redeem the world without going to the cross. You can redeem the world without being separated from your Father. It can all be yours. Isn't bowing down to me a lot easier than dying on a cross? So what do you say, Jesus? I can give it all to you right now and your mission can be done. You see, the temptation 
was to save the world without the cross. The temptation was to save the world without suffering, without dying, without being forsaken from the Father. Friends, this was a big temptation because Jesus did not want to be separated from his Father. And how did Jesus reply? Jesus quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, and he said, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Worshiping anyone other than God was not an option for Jesus. Jesus would be faithful no matter what. Jesus would rather redeem the world by dying on a cross than redeem the world by worshiping the devil. Amen? Jesus passed the second test. Hallelujah. The third test. Throw yourself from the temple. For the third test, Jesus took, uh, uh, the devil took Jesus to the temple, to the highest point of the temple, and he said to him, throw yourself off the temple, because if you really are the Son of God, doesn't the Bible say, it's interesting, Satan quotes scripture, doesn't the Bible say that if you really are the Son of God, that he's going to protect you? He's not going to let you get hurt. So prove yourself right now, Jesus, that you really are the Son of God. Prove it to all of us right now. That's who you really are. Now here's the test. Would Jesus believe what was declared at his baptism when God the Father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased? Would that be enough for Jesus? Or would Jesus have to put God to the test and make God prove that what he said was true? And how did Jesus reply? You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And Jesus did not need to put God to the test. What God had declared at his baptism was enough. Jesus had heard the word of God, and he believed God, and he didn't need God to prove that what he said was true. And so Jesus passed the third test. So Jesus, our champion, was tested, and he passed all the tests with flying colors. You see, unlike Adam and Israel who failed their tests by giving in to their temptations, Jesus passed his test by resisting all the temptations of the devil. Jesus is our champion, and he prevailed where Adam and Israel failed. Jesus proved himself to be the true, obedient, loving Son of God. When Jesus went into the wilderness... He defeated the devil. Two went in, and one emerged the victor. And Jesus was the victor. And Jesus, our true champion, will ultimately defeat the devil. Not in a wilderness, but on a cross. When he would die for the sins of the world, and it looked like the devil won. But three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, declaring ultimate victory over sin, death, and hell. And friends, Jesus' victory over sin, death, and hell is our victory over sin, death, and hell because when Jesus wins, we win. Jesus is our champion. And when he, our victory, his victory becomes our victory that we get to rejoice in and rest in because Jesus won, we are saved. Because Jesus passed the test, we are saved. And when we see Jesus,
that's our champion, resisting temptation and passing the test in the wilderness. And when we see Jesus, our Savior, dying on a cross for us and rising from the dead, we see not, a, not only how strong our champion is, but how loving our Savior is. Because Jesus didn't just fight for us. He fought to the death for us, even to his own death. And when you see your champion and your Savior loving you like that, even to the point of laying down his life for you, being wounded for you so that you might be healed, when you see a champion like that, a Savior like that, who loves you like that, it melts your heart. This is a champion. I can worship. This is a champion I want to fight for. This is a champion I want to follow all the days of my life, no matter how hard it is. Amen. When you see Jesus doing this for you, you see how loved you are. So what? what's the takeaway for today? I want to conclude my sermon today by talking about what we call the gospel waltz around here. And that's because the work that Jesus did by passing the test is the very foundation of the gospel waltz. See, the gospel waltz is what we call kind of the, the three-step dance of the gospel. Here's step one of the gospel waltz. We can repent of our sins and failures. Let me say that again. We can repent we can confess and repent of our sins and failures because Jesus passed the test for us. We don't have to. The pressure to pass the test is off. That means that we can now freely confess our sins and repent of our failures. That means that we can stop pretending, we can stop performing, we can stop posing, we can stop acting like we're better than we really are, we can stop acting like we have it all together. Because, listen, friends, there is no one to impress anymore. We don't have to impress God, and we don't have to impress one another. We are now free to confess and admit all of our flaws, all of our sins, the worst and the darkest parts of us because they cannot condemn us. They cannot cause us to fail the test because in Jesus we have already passed the test. We now have the freedom to say, Amen. I'm a mess. I struggle with anger and selfishness. And in my moments of weakness, I can do and say terrible things that I regret and that I'm ashamed of. Because our salvation doesn't depend on us and our obedience, because our salvation depends on the perfect obedience of Christ, we can now confess our disobedience and sin. It's actually very liberating. Second step of the gospel waltz is this, and this is the most important step. We can believe the gospel and rest in the perfect obedience of Jesus. When we fail and disobey, we can rest in the one who never failed and who never disobeyed. When we have no obedience and righteousness of our own to boast in, we can boast in the perfect obedience and the perfect righteousness of Christ. You see, it is the righteousness of Christ that saves us, not our own. Did you know that your righteousness is like filthy rags? But Christ's righteousness is perfect, spotless, and beautiful. And it is his righteousness that saves you. It is the shed blood of Jesus that gives you the forgiveness of your sins. And it is the perfect righteousness of Christ that gives you eternal life. Because of our sins, I know 
that you feel this way because I feel this way. Because of my sins, I feel like I deserve to be despised by God the Father. But because we're united to Jesus, the Father, instead of despising us, delights over us. He says, you are my children in you. I am well pleased. Friends, listen to me. This is the gospel. We who deserve the scorn of God for our sins, we get the steadfast love of God instead because of Jesus and what he did for us. When we look up into the Father's eyes, we expect to see disappointment and rage, but instead we see delight and love because of Jesus because of what Jesus has done for us. And here's step three of the gospel waltz. We obey Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, listen. We desire to obey Christ not in order to pass some test because we've already passed the test in Jesus. But we desire to obey Christ because we love Christ. We love him because he first loved us and laid down his life for us. We desire to obey Jesus, not to earn our salvation, not to pass the test, but out of gratitude and love for the one who passed the test for us, for the one who won our salvation for us. And now, as those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, and that is what we are as Christians, we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, we now have the desire and the power to live lives that are pleasing and honoring to Christ, to live lives that glorify and exalt Christ. And we seek to live that way in the power of the Holy Spirit. But of course, because our sanctification is not yet complete, and because we're on the side of eternity, we will sin and fail again. Even our best spirit-filled resolutions, we will break. And when we fail, and when we sin, what do we do? We start the gospel waltz all over again. We confess our sins again. We believe the gospel again, and we seek to obey by the power of the Spirit again. That's the gospel waltz, isn't it? Repent, believe, obey, repeat. <laughs> repent, believe, obey, repeat. And we do that for the rest of our lives, as long as we live in this world, until the day that we see Jesus as he is, and we are made like him, because on that day and on that day alone, we will sin no more. The pandemic, let me just get personal here. The pandemic has been really hard for me, as I'm sure it's been hard for you. And one of the hardest things about the pandemic has been what it has revealed about me to myself. My anger has been on full, ugly display a lot during the pandemic, especially at home, especially toward my kids. The other day, we were celebrating my son Caleb's 17th birthday at Chasing Tails because crab is his favorite food. And over dinner, he said, Dad, when you're angry, you act like an idiot. I'll be honest, I was tempted to get mad and act like an idiot when he said that. <laughs> but he was right. When I get angry, I do act like an idiot. I have said and I've done all sorts of stupid, immature, petty, and sinful things when I'm angry. So when I get angry and act like an idiot, what am I to do? Should I despair 
and give up and say, oh, woe is me. No, I got to say, scram, sorry. Woe is me. I'm never going to change. Should I just give up in despair? Or should I say, no, that's just the way I am. You know, who cares? That's just the way I am and I'm not going to change. Is that how I'm supposed to respond when I see my sin? No. I'm called to do the gospel waltz. I have to confess my sin of anger and repent of it. You see, the gospel gives me the freedom to admit my anger, not deny it, nor blame my kids for my anger. I can confess and own my sin because the gospel gives me the freedom to be honest about myself and my sins. So yes, I am a sinner who struggles with anger. And I do act like an idiot when I'm angry. It's embarrassing. I don't like to tell you that, but it's true. But I can confess that because I know that my sin of anger won't make me fail the test. Second, I believe the gospel and I rest in my Savior. Because Jesus died for me, all my sins are forgiven, even my sins of anger, sinful anger toward my children. Even though I want to condemn, listen to me, when I act the fool, I am so tempted to condemn myself and to hang my head in shame and to just want to give up. But I know that Jesus does not condemn me because Jesus took my condemnation for me. And when I see that Jesus still loves me and does not condemn me, even when I hate myself and want to condemn myself, it does something to my heart. And I see that nothing, not even my foolish anger against my kids can separate me from the love of Christ and Christ Jesus. You see, in my worst and my most shameful moments, when I feel like a monster, I can rest in Jesus and in his unchanging love for me. Jesus never stops loving me, even when I deserve to not be loved. And maybe I can say this, especially when I don't deserve to be loved, Jesus loves me then at that moment. And that leads me to the third step of the gospel waltz. When you're loved like that, it makes you want to obey your Savior. When I see that Jesus loves me and that he will never forsake me, it makes me want to love him. It makes me want to honor and to please him. And I know that it pleases and honors my Savior when I love my family and when I don't vent my sinful anger at my family. So listen, friends, I love my family. But it is not primarily my love for my family that makes me want to be gentle at home. It is my love for my Savior that makes me want to be gentle at home. I want to love my Savior and obey Him by loving my family well. So that even when my family is not so lovely in my eyes, I can have the power to love them because I love Jesus. Because He first loved me and gave himself for me. And of course, my best resolutions, my best intentions, I still break. I know it's just a matter of time before I lose it again. And I sin. But what am I going to do when I sin? Am I going to give up in despair? Am I going to deny my sin? No, I'm going to do the gospel waltz again. I will repent again. I will believe the gospel again. And I will seek to obey the obey my Savior by the power of the Holy Spirit again. And one day I will see my Savior as he is and I will be made like him. And on that day, 
I will sin no more and my anger will be gone forever. But until that day, I will be gospel waltzing all the days of my life until I get to glory. Christ central. Maybe during this pandemic, you found yourself sinning or blowing it and you've been discouraged. Maybe you've even been tempted to despair. But church, do not despair. Do the gospel waltz. Repent when you sin. Believe the gospel when you sin and seek to obey the Holy Spirit by the, uh, by the, by the Spirit of God. And one day, you see, friends, this is how the Holy Spirit sanctifies us on our journey to heaven as we do the gospel waltz. And one day, you will see Jesus as he is and you will be made like him. And one day, you will sin no more. Isn't that a wonderful and glorious thought. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you passed the test for us. Because we fail all the time, but you pass for us. And it is because of your righteousness that we will be saved. So thank you, Jesus, for being our champion, for being our Savior, for saving us when we could not save ourselves. It's in your name we pray. Amen.